From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Kendrick Whiteman. This is Film Club. A podcast series where our youth film critics and cultural connoisseurs build a theoretical tea on a new movie. So these are spoiler-filled conversations. If you haven't seen the movie they're talking about, be prepared to learn far more about them than the trailers will tell you. For this new episode, we're talking about Asteroid City, the new film from director Wes Anderson. The story takes place in the 1950s at a junior stargazing event in the desert. But after an extraterrestrial encounter disrupts the evening festivities, the characters are left to wonder what it all means. It's also a play within a television show, but it's also a movie. It's hard to explain. Our Atme film critics sat down to talk about the movie's puzzling messages, the stacked A-list cast, visual motifs standard in a Wes Anderson film, and much more. Here's their conversation led by A.J. Schultz. Okay, so I will say, I haven't, like, gone through old roundtable episodes to see, like, the general, like, routine and tradition for how people start these up, but I guess I'll just say, like, let's go around and introduce ourselves and uh, give our association to Wes Anderson films as well, like we did with the MCU, because for me, this was my first Wes Anderson. I should also say, this is a roundtable for <laughs> Asteroid City. <laughs> Uh, just to get that out there. So I'll start off. I'm going to be leading the discussion today, and my name is AJ. I am pretty new with Atme, and yeah, this is my first Wes Anderson, which was a little bit of a strange experience, but that's why I've gathered a troop of hopefully more seasoned Anderson fans to <laughs> to help me out. I'm kind of leaning on Logan with that one, so I guess uh, I'll start yes, off with you. Uh, my name is Logan. I I am a big fan of Wes Anderson. I've seen all of his movies, most of them multiple times. Uh, and even though my favorite is Moonrise Kingdom, I really loved Asteroid City, and I can't wait to talk more about it. I'm Edison, and this is also going to be my first, or it is my first Wes Anderson movie, uh, which I will agree with AJ, it was very much an interesting experience. <laughs> I'm Madison Knudsen, and uh, this was not my first Wes Anderson movie. Uh, I like that you referred to Wes Anderson as Anderson, because it <laughs> makes me think of Anderson Cooper, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I forget which one was my first, but the I think the first one I really saw when it first came out was uh, French Dispatch, mm. which is an interesting one, and if we get to it, I'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I uh, I love, I've seen like Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Bud- Budapest Hotel, uh, I can never pronounce this one, Steve Zizou or Zizou? The Life Aquatic yeah, Zizou. 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 Um, and then, um, a bunch more. Uh, I haven't seen his, like, super old stuff, but, uh, I'll get there one day. So, yeah. Uh, first question I'm going to lead with, or second question, is what were your expectations going into the movie and your initial reactions afterwards? So I'll start off with Logan, then wrap around to me. The thing about, uh, Wes Anderson is that he mostly does the same visual style every time, you know, the whole weird camera movements that make you realize you're watching a movie, the color palette, which is very restrained. So I pretty much just expected another one of those things. And when there is substance there, I always love it. I mean, I'm a sucker for his style. I'll probably eat it up regardless of if it had substance, because I haven't seen a Wes Anderson movie I truly hated. There have been ones that I like a little less than the others, but... Mm -hmm. Even when it's dealing with less interesting subject matter, I still really enjoy it. But Moonrise Kingdom is still my personal favorite, mm-hmm. even after seeing Asteroid City. But Asteroid City does land in, like, top five for me. Top five. Nice. Like, it definitely uh, dethroned a few. But at the same time, you know, 
when the movie was first announced, because it was announced around the time French Dispatch came out, which I also saw in theaters, and I just expected, like, I heard Asteroid City was going to be a sci-fi movie or something, and I remember being like, can Wes Anderson do a sci-fi <laughs> movie with his usual style? And then I saw the trailer, and I'm like, okay, he can do this. And then I saw the movie, and I'm like, yeah, he can still do this. And those are my brief thoughts that I think answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. So we'd been talking about this movie at one of the at me meetings. So I had like a few vague expectations. I kind of sort of knew what it was about. And everyone said like Wes Anderson movies are weird. And so I kind of walked in like knowing it was going to be weird somehow. I didn't quite expect the weird that happened. Um, and I definitely expected more aliens. But mm. yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that guy. Um, I don't, I don't know. After uh, French Dispatch, I don't know, I guess I, I lost kind of the expectation of Wes Anderson because French Dispatch was, it felt it's different from any of his other ones. You know, it's an anthology, like anthology story. Mm -hmm. Um, so for this one, I was like, you know what, Americana, sort of that like Western feeling. I was expecting that. And I was hoping that they, he was going to do human, like, aliens sort of like the 50s martian sci-fi where you get humans and they dress up really tacky as like uh martians and i saw margot robbie in the cast i was like did he cast her as an alien so i i kind of expected that but uh i got my expectations subverted which i you know i'm happy about because it did turn out to be really cool um but yeah sort of just Wes Anderson diving into sci-fi and sort of Americana. Yeah, just kind of like you mentioned earlier, Wes Anderson just has kind of a like signature visual style that I had gotten to know through like osmosis and just like, oh yeah, I can recognize a Wes Anderson shot when I see it, even though I haven't seen a Wes Anderson movie. Right. In the months leading up to this movie, there was a explosion of honestly, like, really annoying AI Wes Anderson imitation. Uh, (laughs) Where it was like, oh, this is uh, this movie if it was Wes Anderson, and it's just the main character of that movie looking at the camera with, like, a slightly more colorful palette, and I was like, this can't be it. Uh, It wasn't. Uh, wasn't. But that, like, that tainted my perception a little bit, to the point where I was like, I need to go see this just to, like, make sure I'm... (laughs) I'm not being brainwashed by TikTok AI. So that was what I was going into it with. And I got, came out of it with like, oh, wait, this is sick. Because what I wasn't expecting was the meta layers. I thought it was going to be just, because again, yeah, I was kind of like brain poisoned by like just people's ideas of Anderson of just being, oh yeah, quirky, uh, quirky, monotone. Everybody's emotionless Mm -hmm. and everybody is emotionless in this movie. Yeah. It's deadpan. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that has consistently been my least favorite thing about the Wes Anderson that I have tangentially seen. Is like, I feel like this deadpan is going to agree on me. It did. I guess I'll, I'll swap these two questions around then just to lead right into that. How do you feel about Asteroid City's use of meta layers and telling a story within a story? Was this like grating on you or did you find it more engaging or harder to follow? Where you land? Where you landed? Everyone's looking at me again. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the thing about Wes Anderson and his meta layer is meta layers in general, usually he's pretty subtle about it. Like, there are times when it's like, you know, he'll do like a play within a movie. He did that in his second film, Rushmore. 
but for the and also he like references like classic cinema in very subtle ways throughout his work. But the metal air in Asteroid City, I did think took it to the next level because it intercuts play with like the actual movie with the black and white scenes with the color in a way that really worked for me. Like it could just be because I love cinema and obviously I love Wes Anderson, so I could probably be a victim of the sunk cost fallacy where even if it's bad, which I don't think it is, I could still probably love it. Uh, but yeah, I mean the metal airs don't really grade on me, and neither does the deadpan. Sorry, man. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't saying it grade on me. I'm just saying like just kind of gauge right uh, okay. what everybody else is. I love the metal airs. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really like the metal airs too. The the play component. I mean, I act in plays, so mm. I really appreciated like I appreciate seeing plays and seeing that kind of representation. And somehow, to me, I don't know why, but it really felt. Like, at, at the beginning of the movie, like, it felt like I was watching a play, the way that the characters interacted and the scenes were set up. And so I, like, really appreciated that because it kind of felt like I'm seeing my art form on screen, which, I mean, you don't usually see plays on screen. Um, so that was really cool. And I liked the way that it all intersected. And, like, I like different alternative ways of telling stories because it kind of forces me to put it together like a puzzle. It's a little bit of a challenge. And so I really enjoy that. Um so yeah, I really liked it. I really liked how it all intersected. Yeah, I would have to agree as well. Um, I really liked... I was a little, like, caught off guard at first um, when they did switch, but then you kind of get into the swing of it. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. It reminded me, since it's set in, like, what, 50s, around the 60s, okay. uh, it reminded me of how, like, yeah, plays, but how also cinema took a lot of um, inspiration from plays and often like the 99% of movies were just plays that they took directly from like New York or something and just turned into movies. So I thought that was like sort of an interesting piece, even though this is meant this is a play and it's not meant to be a movie. It kind of added that layer as well unintentionally. Uh, But yeah, I like that. I, I also like just like introducing the characters, actors, who's playing them and giving yes. them that kind of, like, difference and stuff. Um, but, yeah, that uh, Jeff Goldblum cameo was too short. I do have to say that. <laughs> that is my, one of my gripes with the film. Way too short. But. I thought that was yeah. a flex. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> love it was like, so good, though. Power move. I think it's a metaphor, but I don't know what for. Yeah. Something, something like that when he's, like, in the alien dressing room or something. <laughs> that was so funny. It's the whole movie. I don't think movie, I even man. remember seeing Jeff Goldblum. Like, I knew he was in the cast, yes. but I don't remember seeing That's him. That's how fast it was. Also, <laughs> I, I could be wrong about this, so... I think he was, like, he is credited as the alien in yeah. the opening so credits. So we did get a human playing the alien, technically. Sort of. But not... In the way I thought, yeah. Probably. <laughs> so, like, barely. Yeah, not a Martian one, but like a black uh, alien. With like of. wide black eyes. Black and white, yeah, with wide eyes. Yeah. Dude. Also, I'd like the record to show I saw this movie twice, and the second time the line, the alien stole the asteroid, just hits me so much harder the second time for some reason. What do you mean hits you? Like, just because it's just so funny and it comes out of nowhere when the alien, like, kills the asteroid and he's basically, like, speaking the audience's mind. Like, 
Alien and that's the, the asteroid. that's the first thing that comes to his mind that the alien he stole the asteroid. Not that there is an alien. There's extraterrestrial <laughs> life that he stole something from. Um, like I don't know. Like, very American. It's private oh, property. That's yeah. a good, that's a good very, point. Yeah, I never very thought American of that. Of, that's funny. That's our property. You left that there. It's ours now. Yeah. yeah. That's it's a metaphor for land ownership. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. I eventually started like really looking forward to all of the Brian Cranston moments and in mm-hmm. like the more Orson Welles like Mm. cutaway documentary thing because the play just started like getting on my nerves so much I was just like I'm just sitting through just like just like show me the real people again this is what I'm here Mm. for and oh I I loved all that because it's it's a what is it what are all the layers it's a movie about a tv show about the production of a play and then you see the play and the actors within that play that might be the real people or they're the people in the production of it by Brian Cranston. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's like a Black Mirror if you've seen the first episode of the new season. Joan is awful. Spoil it. Joan, yeah. Joan is awful. I'm basically spoiling it but I won't really. go any further okay. than that but Ooh, if you've seen that episode you will kind of understand it's similar themes of yeah. You want to switch to a Joan is awful round table? Yeah we'll do that. No yeah. Uh, one thing that I that stuck out, I should have said this earlier, but I also love the way the meta layers sometimes like bleed into each other. Like when they're like talking about like the little bruise that Scarlett Johansson like does mm-hmm. with makeup around her eyes, and they're like, "Who did it? Yeah, who who did this to you?" And Brian Cranston briefly appears for a split <laughs> second. I'm, am I not in this? <laughs> yeah, that that was really funny. That was a good one. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere, and I love it when cinema surprises you mm-hmm. if that sounds so douchey <laughs> uh, edit that out when cinema yeah. surprises you pinky out yeah cinema yeah. <laughs> uh this next one's a bit lighter just uh who's your favorite cast member in this and why because the ensemble cast in this movie is stacked to the brim to the um, point where Goldblum is a background character yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay mostly probably because he hasn't really appeared in a uh Wes Anderson movie that I know of up until that point, but I really liked uh, the grandfather Tom. I think mm-hmm. that's Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks, yes. Making sure I, it wasn't just distorted makeup or <laughs> yeah. something, but I really love Tom Hanks's in the uh, little uh, daughter's role. Mm-hmm. Brainiac was really funny, and the kid mm-hmm. who does the dare. <laughs> yes. Like all all the kids in Wes Anderson movies, mm-hmm. especially in Moonrise Kingdom, are consistently yeah. really good. But also, I loved when he's like doing the chili pepper thing and then it shifts to a totally different scene altogether and then yes. it cuts to him like crushing oh, it's perfect. Yeah. it was that really was... well done the way it all put went yes. back together great scene yeah. setup. the yeah. dare kid who just jumps the story i couldn't <laughs> and... stand the dare kid oh. <laughs> it could just be because i have lighter standards when it comes to comedy but mm. i always like it when a joke like lands and just comes out of nowhere yeah. i like, at a certain point, I did feel that when uh, he's like, I climb up a cactus, they're like, don't do that. I felt the yeah. dad's pain a little bit. That by, the, by that time, it was kind of like the whole dare thing. I was like, okay, we can we can move past this. <laughs> like, And that was like after all the alien stuff, too. So I'm like, right. you're okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You yeah. don't need to do that. And the, they pretty much directly point this out. Like, the kids are weird. Like, not yeah, like normal yeah. people. Yeah. Steve Carell says that. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah. I mean, they are. What, what, okay, I, just a little pivot before we go to your mm-hmm. favorite cast member. What was the deal with the game they were all playing where they were just naming people? Is that uh, a thing? People, what was that? It is a memory game that I have heard of because uh, people tell me I have a good memory. And I'm like, no, I don't. So I decided to exercise my memory to meet people's, like, okay. 
expectations of it. And that memory game has been done. Like you just add and add a new name and have to do mm-hmm. all the names. And okay. Goes around so and I say going. a name and then you would say a new one and then you would say both and add one and then you would say yeah. all three and add one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I- it's it's hard. <laughs> I've done it as like an icebreaker to learn people's names uh, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. I've, I've done that one. Yeah. 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 I. That's what I thought it was at first, yeah. and I was like, "There's no way one of these people's names is like Carl Sagan." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think they even say in the movie, like, if it's a real person, you can use them mm-hmm. or her. Yeah, because I was trying to find through... That makes sense, because I was trying to find through lines between people being like Pontius Pilate and Steve Jobs, and I was like, all right, what, are they, what is this? Yeah. What's, going, what, what you, what's this a metaphor for? Yeah, what's a metaphor? <laughs> I, I think it's a metaphor... I'm not sure if it's a metaphor, but I do think it is like a statement about like community of smart people. Oh, because sure. Yeah. yeah. Because I, they're this all is how like, they bond. I think it was an bond. expression of their intelligence mm-hmm. in a way to like show them. Memory. Yeah. Memor- yeah. By memorizing people's <laughs> yeah. names. Yeah, also, yeah. also, I'm glad the main character Woodrow or Brainiac or whatever he's called. I am glad. We'll probably get more into that later. But I like how he actually got the check and like the scholarship, and he's yeah. like, "Turns out it's a normal check and normal performance." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After we saw the giant Big check, for sure, that's true. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite character was the hotel manager, Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think I'm saying his last name right. Um, the way he just like was subtly in scenes and he wasn't like a big character but he was always trying to sell real estate and it was like it was always he was always an intersection for something else happening in the story and it kept it moving along but I just thought it was funny like every time he showed up and he was like well this prime real estate I'm like that is a businessman (laughs) he's doing a great job um but it was like I felt like he was a little bit of comedy and a little bit of relief from the weirdness that you're trying to comprehend as you're watching the movie, but, like, you know, capitalism, we, we can all understand that. Totally. <laughs> We're all experienced. We all have to live in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, not me. No, no not, not you. <laughs> I, I just, like, am in a different <laughs> world, <laughs> different dimension. Sure. Um, I think my favorite person was, I'm being, like, really slow, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with that, um... I think it was Brainiac and the other, like, smart kids because, yeah, Moonrise Kingdom is great. He does children good. Probably does children just as, like, good as, I would say, Taika Waititi is the other person who I love. Like, works with kids great. Yeah. Um... But I also, to be a Barbie girl, I loved Margot Robbie. Her little, yeah. her just little cameo. I also um, love how her cameo good. is actually important to Jason Schwartzman's yes. character. Yeah, like like the... they even say, like, it's cut from the movie. Yeah, It's a very meta layer to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like that. Um, and then I also, just a little cameo, but I love Rita Wilson. Mm. Um, and she got that little cameo, uh, Tom Hanks' wife, um, for that just little bit. That, yeah. like, mom, yeah, who was calling on the phone. Um, but yeah, I just, she didn't really add anything, but <laughs> Rita Wilson, so I like it. I think I like her more than Tom Hanks, which is funny, because it's usually the other way around. Um, for a bunch of people, but, yeah. I loved Tilda Swinton specifically mm. as this, like, just grown-up kid who is very clearly, like, a renowned, like, PhD astrophysicist or, like, some kind of, you know, space scientist, but very obviously is one of the kids. Like, when they steal her equipment to, like, make mm-hmm. contact with, with space or do whatever they're doing with it, and they're just like, you didn't include me? No. Like, yeah, she, she, <laughs> yeah. Like, she, 
<laughs> she thinks it's awesome. Yeah, she was like, dude, you're not going to steal my equipment and not let me play with it, too. It's like, yeah, dude. And oh, this so, is, uh, for me, this is coming right off the heels of Suspiria, where uh, Tilda Swinton oh. is like a horrible, evil it's witch. Not like Narnia, but like, you know. More brutal, and so seeing her seeing her in more of a lighthearted role here was was very refreshing. Also, she has played antagonistic roles in Wes Anderson movies yeah. before, as, as social services from Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like the thing about also Tilda Swinton's character, I think it's important to forget with how great she is that she does have an amazing name in Asteroid City, Doctor Hickenlooper. Oh yes, <laughs> it's such yeah. a good name. I don't know why I love it so much. Yeah, she was she was really funny. Um, I thought a bit pathetic too because she it, she reminded me of that TikTok um sound that's like, um, I'm your like best friend or you're my best friend and like are am I yours? And she's like, well, I'm sure you're, like, or something. It's like she sees them as their like her best friends, but they do yeah. not. I mean, really reciprocate it. I, mean, all, I don't think they care. Yeah, I mean, there is a scene where Tilda Swinton is talking to the actor who plays Woodrow. That's what I'm going to mm. call him. And they, like, have, like, a weird, like, mentor-protege confiding thing. Like, I think they even use the word protege at one point. Yeah, the yeah. Idea that take, take it under the wing. Your equipment's, my equipment's always at your disposal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that that's kind of nice. Like, it, I think even if they don't reciprocate the whole best friend thing, there's still, like, some respect yeah. there because mm -hmm. obviously... Dr. Hickenlooper is yeah. a decorated scientist. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So about three quarters of the way through the movie, or towards the end, when we cut to the, the second meta layer for the last time, when the actor playing Jason Schwartzman's character approaches the director of the play that we are watching <laughs> and says, I don't get this. What's yeah. going on? I don't get my character's motivation. None of this makes sense. Help. I want to ask, do you agree with him? And is this movie too esoteric and out there and multi-layered for its own good? Is it a crutch, or does it help the movie? Wes Anderson might as well be asking that question about his own filmography. Yeah. Is he? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he could be. I mean, having seen literally all of his feature films, I gotta tell you, it wouldn't surprise me if at this point Wes Anderson's painfully aware of his style Yeah. Uh, and his subject matter. Mm. And I, get, I, got, I think I think at this point in its filmography, he knows that well enough to be like, yeah, mm -hmm. maybe the, I'll leave this to the audience and they'll make something up. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if if like the the play itself was sort of like a self parodic thing, where it was like I'm I'm parodying my own style in this, and that's why mm -hmm. it's so people online were calling it the most Wes Anderson Wes Anderson has ever been. <laughs> yeah, and that might have been the point. Yeah, yes. it was it was parodic in a sincere way. I felt, which it, it's kind of weird because like normally when you think of like parody versus pastiche, parody is usually like a mockery of the genre, whereas a pastiche is like a sincere delivery of the genre. Like how Kingsman was like a sort of deliberate spy movie on purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas Kingsman's Austin, awesome. yeah, whereas yeah. Austin Powers is like just a parody of yeah. the spy movie. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I think that this is Wes Anderson doing a pastiche of his own work at this point. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Any other thoughts? So I'm so glad you asked about this scene because I loved this scene and I mm -hmm. wanted to talk about it. I thought that it this scene made it made the movie not too weird. Like it kind of reined it in almost in a way by acknowledging that yes it's weird yes it doesn't really make sense but 
it's kind of on purpose, so it still has to mean something, even mm. if you can't quite tell what it means. Like I, I was Your job wa- isn't to get it. Yeah, your job isn't to get it, exactly. It was like, I was watching it, and all this weird stuff is happening, and then you get to this scene, and the actor is asking, like, I don't get this, I don't get my character, I don't get this play. And I was like, oh, okay, so he's not expecting us to get it. We're just kind of supposed to, like, take what we can from it. And I, for some reason, I really liked that. Um, and so that scene I felt like was almost the most important in the movie because it kind of made the movie make sense. Even if it was still weird, it was acknowledging mm-hmm. that it was weird and gave it some, like, you don't need to understand it. You just have to take what you can get from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that interpretation. Um yeah, I think it was pretty broad, like, open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. To me, I did kind of get... I uh, I clinged on to that Americana sort of vibe about it, the 50s, um, and sort of it being a little bit of a commentary, um, at least the play being a little bit of a commentary on, like, what would happen if we did interact with aliens. And I thought it was interesting how the beginning and the end, where they first enter town are relatively the same. Mm-hmm. They go to the same diner, they order the same thing. That's right. Um, and so I think that's an interesting, at least like kind of going off the thing, you can make it your own. Like I th- thought that was an interesting um, kind of uh, commentary on like, yeah, what if aliens just came down and we didn't really care and we just kind of went on with our lives? Because that sounds like something, I don't know, like a desert town would do. They just yeah. kind of quarantine. And then it, it never happened. That's so, an alien yeah. in the top hat. That's an alien on a bicycle. Yeah, there that we go. Rorschach yeah. test scene. Sorry. Yeah, I'd, I'd feel bad if that wasn't mentioned at least mm-hmm. once. Yeah. I mean, they have like A-bombs going off all the time. So, I know, like, they don't and, really care. Yeah, yeah, and like an alien is just... Yeah. yeah, and there's like a police car always going by that's shooting people. <laughs> With a yeah. motorcycle Yeah, yeah. It. I'm like, an alien is just... Eh. Also, yeah, not that big. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the effect on that mushroom cloud at the beginning where, yeah. oh, yeah. where yeah. Jason Schwartzman just like takes a picture of it <laughs> randomly. I saw someone say this was a good little appetizer for Barbie and Oppenheimer because it combines oh, yeah. oh, yeah. colorfulness with go. atom bombs and, and nuke towns and Margot Robbie. And wait, is there any of the Oppenheimer cast in this? That's a good. Think so. I am. Oh, you're. We're, Help me we out. gotta look it up. We gotta. This, this is but, so. This is so necessary. You don't understand. Um, but yeah, I also on that point, I really did like the. I we might get into this later, but while we're while we're investigating the special yeah, effects, you have to carry this yeah, for a second. <laughs> the special effects were really good in this one, mm-hmm. and I liked how he blended uh, stop motion, claymation, mm-hmm. which is the stop motion. I know the the Roadrunner, excuse me, the Roadrunner was not claymation. It, I think it was a puppet, right? Uh, I don't I don't it, know for sure, but I do know it, it, lo- it looked like stop motion yeah, and like some sort of puppetry. I think it was puppetry because I think I, I saw behind the scenes where they were okay. behind a green screen. Um, and then his famous miniatures, two for the train um, yes. and the set. Um, so just him, it is truly, uh, what did you say, a pastiche? Pastiche of his own filmography. Of his own filmography, down to the, the special effects of it, yeah. If only this quote would go down in history. There we go. Mm-hmm. 
Believe you it heard not. it here first. This yeah, is where it happens. Yeah. Nowhere else, no not overlap. a letterbox. There's no overlap. There's no overlap. Two mm. massively stacked cats. I guess they were filming huh. at the same time or something. Mm. Yeah. You know so. who Wes Anderson likes more? Barbie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the Margot Robbie, no. The correct choice. Let's we'll postpone Barbie talk for okay, uh, yeah. 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 future episode. We're uh, definitely uh, giving Save that for the Barbenheimer episode. <laughs> yes. Exactly. What do you think the movie is trying to say <laughs> with you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep? Mm. What's the deal with that? Because I have two possible theories, but I guess I want to start off. Uh, let's go against the grain and start with no, Madison. No. Oh, no, because I have no idea. <laughs> okay, let's start with uh, that. <laughs> I can uh, try. I don't know. It, to me, when you first hear it, it sounds like The Matrix. Which <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, um... Uh, I say uh, to the Matrix because it's been distorted by society and stuff. Yeah. But um, Wait, how so? I'm not gonna get into that right now because <laughs> we've already gotten off topic. There are multiple but ways you can make that. Case. I know. Um, but it reminds me of the Matrix, sort of like I. I guess maybe if you're thinking of this sort of like the play that comes out of the imagination of someone else, you know, um, maybe you can't. What is it? I can't again. What was the statement? Uh, you, you can't, can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. Um. Maybe you can't like, like truly embrace reality if you don't live in your imagination or live in your dreams or embrace your, your dreams or something. But I don't know. To me, it was a lot. It was kind of the weird scene that kind of mm-hmm. made you. Like wake up. <laughs> they yeah. woke everyone up. That was yeah. asleep. Yeah. It caught you. No improv troupe. Is gonna just start like repeating the yeah. same. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. the opposite of what improv is. So I feel like that was Wes just looking at the camera and going, "Here's this the meaning. Sweet. Here's yeah. the meaning. Here's yeah. the meaning. <laughs> Figure it out." Yeah, it was like it was very clearly like this is this is something important. Yeah, the audience needs to pay attention. But I'm like, I don't know quite what it was meant to do. I was that that was I think that was the part where like right before he died, right the writer died right uh, after that scene i think a little after if yeah. memory serves in the okay. story i thought and i thought that i kind of made that connection of maybe this is kind of like his thoughts on the writer dying or like i don't know some acknowledgement of he knew what was going to happen or yeah. or like i i don't know it ha- in my brain it had something to do with him dying but for some reason, I also thought about Jonathan Larson and his uh, the movie about him, Tick, Tick, Boom. Right. And, like, my brain draws parallels um, between those two because he had all of that, like, internal... Um, you could kind of, like, see the internal dialogue with Jonathan Larson in that movie. And I feel like it was kind of almost similar. Like, it was a lot darker in Asteroid City, but it was still kind of, like, these people who write plays. I mean, artists are often tortured. There's, like... Artists have to be tortured or whatever, um, that kind of idea. And so I felt like that was a little bit of a representation of that and, like, an acknowledgement of that somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, these are all better interpretations than I possibly <laughs> could have ever sketched. Like, the thing about the whole that whole one line that's supposed to be the meaning of the movie, I don't really think it was supposed to make sense. Like, yeah. I think it was, like, Wes Anderson was trying to, was basically given, like, this catchy sounding phrase to the audience and be mm-hmm. like draw your own interpretations which clearly it worked judging yeah. by your guys's impression uh interpretation sorry mm-hmm. uh so yeah you're doing something right if you're getting someone mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. talk about it on a podcast so yeah, yeah. <laughs> what i wrote down with that 
was that it's the ultimate statement of the movie, that if you spend your life telling stories and sinking deeper into meta-layers, eventually you will lose inspiration and stop generating fresh ideas from the real world. You need to break away from fiction to fall asleep into reality in order to spark your mind again. Hmm. Holy crap, that's awesome. (laughs) Okay, that's beautiful, but that's not fair, because AJ, you knew about these questions Uh, beforehand. I I did write that down ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) This is like my seminar class where you have to bring stuff in our interpretations. (laughs) I'm not trying to flex, I'm just trying to pitch that. Is that that the right angle? What do we think? What do we think about that? Probably. I mean, it's a Socratic yeah, yeah, dialogue. It's one of them, yeah. yeah. I stand true to my statement that it's open to interpretation, mm-hmm. and then yeah. if you're getting us to talk about it on any medium, that's you're Good doing job. something yeah. right. Good yeah. job, Wes. In one sentence, what is Asteroid City about? Oh, God. Oh. Uh, Five minutes of silence. <laughs> oh, no, um, no. I, I can... You got it. You got you it. Got I don't. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Asteroid City is a science fiction film... Uh, about a uh, group group of people dealing with their own special issues, going to a small town only to suddenly have that whole life disrupted by an alien. Right Randomly. That, that's just, like, me half-stringing together a sentence that's probably a compound sentence. Yeah. It's a I sentence. Like it. No, that yeah. was a sentence. Did you say one word or one sentence? One, one, one word. word. <laughs> one word one sentence. How did I alien. hear one word? Okay. Yeah. Movie. Okay, yeah, movie. Quirky. Cinema. Uh, okay. I was thinking one word. Now i got to figure out a sentence. Yeah, you, you can play with as many words. Okay, okay. Like a log line. Yeah, yeah. I feel like... I know movies. <laughs> I think Asteroid City was a commentary... On something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You could take whatever you wanted from it. So it was just like a commentary on the weird and then how our own lives intersect with weird. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that last clause. That's great. Oh no. Um I've been thinking about it this whole time. Um I don't know. I guess Wes Anderson meets sci-fi Americana in this situational comedy about anything, I guess. About anything, or I guess um, about, like, aliens that means anything, to fix it a little bit. Because it is about something, but the meaning is where it kind of, it's whatever you want. Use your (laughs) imagination, I guess, Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's my that's my sentence, I guess. <laughs> Wes Anderson's Asteroid City is a multi-layered, meta-modern sci-fi film about the roles we play for other people, and how they distract from our fu- from our futile search for meaning, mm. and how, in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> it is best for us to ignore these pursuits and accept the authenticity we have in the hopes that maybe we can make something of it that will last. Way to be an existential philosopher. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Kant, call me up. Yeah, there we go. I actually just got done reading The Creek Teak for prior reason. Ah, I cannot say I understand that. Yeah, I I haven't. (laughs) I I can't claim I understand that. And that's what Wes Anderson wants. He wants you to keep knowing. He wants us to read Immanuel Kant. Basically, the real Asteroid City was the friends we made along the way. There we go. That is the sentence. Sweet. Also, sorry, I just want to say it's really funny. I... 
I guess the tone for the movie was set when he tries to light a cigar or a cigarette and then the gas station, the gas station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pours yeah. gasoline into his lighter. Yeah, man. That was really funny. That I, was good. I, I felt like that would be the only thing I'd be comfortable with not not being addressed. Wow, I tripped over my own words. No. Basically, that needed to be addressed. Yeah. <laughs> Just got gasoline on my hands. Gasoline Can't go hands. near any lighters now. Can't yeah. light my cigarette. This is the most important question. Since gasoline doesn't contain water, if you get gasoline on your hands, are your hands wet? Because water is wet, or are mm. fluids wet? Oh, God. This is like the hot dog sandwich. That's the sandwich question for the audience to ponder, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you. There we go. Answer that one at home. But for now, I've been AJ, and... I'm Madison Knudsen. I'm Edison Walsh-Moyer. I'm Logan Tyler-Smith. With Alaska Teen Media Institute. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Probably for Barbieheimer, right? Yes. yes. Sweet. Yes. All right. You've been listening to Film Club, a production of the Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by myself, Kendrick Whiteman. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the Alaska Community Foundation through the 2022 Health Communities Art Culture Play Grant. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to Patreon slash Alaska Team Media. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And if you're a youth ages 13 to 24 who loves movies and is interested in being part of our film club, go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join, or you can email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alaska Teen Media. Follow us for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Kendrick Whiteman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>